This episode is brought to you by TikTok. TikTok is the place to discover new music and artists. From the latest dance trends to viral video duets, so much of the content I hear about started on TikTok. You discover something new each time you open the app, even your favorite throwback song bubbling up again. So discover more on TikTok. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. It just feels like a real jam session week. Like everything we're going to talk about, I think just feels really appropriate. And I'm very excited. Those topics include John McEnroe's Grub Street Diet, a Katie Holmes update, the Venice Film Festival, which is happening. And of course, starting with Megan and Harry. We've established a brand and an identity, and then the world (laughs) is aligning with us. And I feel great about that. All of these topics are relevant to our particular interests and hopefully the interests of people listening. Otherwise, I don't know why you're listening. Go value your time, you know, somewhere else. Yeah, seriously. Do something that makes you happy if it's not this. (laughs) Yeah. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Let's begin with Megan and Harry. Two like kind of big pieces of news this week. Mm-hmm. First one is is smaller in magnitude and in dollars, and that is they've repaid the debt they owed for renovating Frogmore Cottage, which they then promptly move out of. They moved out of. They spent two point four million dollars renovating Frogmore in Windsor, and they paid back the monarchy. It's still their family home, and yes, they can live there without without the guilt. Yeah, so I think we should specify they spent like 2.4 million 2.4 million pounds of public money, taxpayer Correct. money. And that was always the big issue. And I think that that was one of maybe I don't know whether they will ever admit any sort of strategic error, but that was always a political football and a, like a big problem and something that was used against them in the tabloids, the idea that they just took a tremendous amount of taxpayer money to renovate their home when like some even basic accounting would suggest that probably they had private funds to do this if it really like came down to it because of course the royal family is extraordinarily wealthy as are all of the individuals involved and then after renovating this home 
on the taxpayer dime, they bounced. So they paid it back, which is 100% the right thing to do. Good job them both like, you know, in terms of principle, and I don't really think that you or I feel like going down the whole, like, should the taxpayers of the UK fund the royal family right now? I don't know. I'm not a British taxpayer. So it's it's at some point, it's not my money. But strategically speaking, in terms of like, this probably didn't add up logically and was putting them in a lot of situations and arguments that they didn't want to be in. Smart move. Good job. Give the money back. Yeah. Especially because of the big part of this declaration was we want to be financially independent. And so if that's the case, then you can't take the royal money for a home you're not living in. Especially if in the same week, headlines are coming like part two of this, which is that you've just signed a multi-million dollar rumored to be close to a $100 million Netflix deal. And like, if you've got the funds, then you really can no longer be like in debt to the taxpayer situation. So like these updates are of a piece. And I think like... We, we should talk more about the Netflix deal, which I believe that Juliet predicted within one hour of the like <laughs> Royal Sussex.uk website posting. Like literally as soon as they were like, we're going solo, Juliet was like Netflix deal. And that was 100% correct. And lo, it came to pass this week. The terms were uh, not specified, though in the New York Times reporting by Brooks Barnes um, suggests that it was probably close to $100 million. They apparently also met with Disney and Apple and possibly even Universal, but ultimately went with Netflix, the home of really top dollar production deals for famous people and creators. And now we know how they bought that home. Yeah. You got to assume that Disney that this was Disney's to lose, right? Megan did the elephant movie um, that she narrated, which she did not get an, an Emmy for. Many others got em- nominations for narration and she did not. And it just seems like Disney probably didn't have to pay them this kind of money. Um, maybe didn't want to. It just it just makes a lot more sense with Netflix than it does with Disney, in my opinion. But um, it did seem like they were probably in pole position based on the elephant narration. But... Netflix, like, I think that one thing that's just really under underrated is, like, the international um, pull of Netflix. And um, I, I think that probably makes them more valuable on that platform than on many others. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I would say that this was always Netflix's to lose for a number of reasons, including kind of, like, the broader reach that you just alluded to. Just precedent in terms of Netflix offering extremely, shall we say, generous deals to big names. And everyone from, you know, there are a lot of showrunners, Shonda Rhimes, Ryan Murphy, the Game of Thrones guys. Barris. Yeah. You know, that's been well established. But the obvious precedent here is the, the Obamas and their production deal with Netflix, which is a similar model in the sense that, you know, Uh, Barack and Michelle Obama were not primarily known for producing and creating movies and television before this Netflix deal. They were they were doing some other things and since have gotten into the to the business and produced for my money, which what is one of the best films of the last five years, which is called American Factory. It came out last year. It's a documentary. If you have not seen it, it was directed by Stephen Bogner and Julia Reichert. It won the uh, Oscar for best documentary last year. It's extraordinary and it's on Netflix. And that was kind of the first of the Obama's production deal. So 
great job by them. And it makes sense for Netflix. And I think if you are just getting into the Hollywood producing business, which Prince Harry certainly is. And I think, you know, Meghan Markle was obviously uh, on Suits and within Hollywood as a actress for a long time, but I don't think has like a extremely developed uh, production career. So if you're vaguely new to that, then obviously the Obamas are going to be the model. Well, it's the model that I would want to follow. So sure. So yeah, absolutely. Like I, I, th- I think that's a very smart decision. So I, I, Netflix makes a ton of sense. And I think Netflix is also just willing to spend a ton of money still and probably comes with a bit more flexibility than a place like Disney, which is yeah. like really still very old school studio system. Right. Yeah. It has its own brand, shall we say, and is like pretty strict in terms of what it produces and you know, what is allowed to be on its various platforms and what it wants to be associated with. They said, as new parents, making inspirational family programming is also important to us. In a couple of places, it emphasized they really want to make content for kids. And I think that's just also like another reason why Netflix makes a lot of sense. Because though Disney has so much content for kids, it's like legacy content Mm -hmm. for kids that like people know about already or, you know, comes from their very set system. The Netflix kids programming, I think, is like a lot more freeform and like probably could allow someone to just like jump in a bit more or like, you know, you could also imagine Megan and Harry writing a kid's book, which they then adapt into like a Netflix series, like Mm -hmm. that that kind of thing. And I I think that there's just like a lot of ways for them to house the kind of streaming arm of whatever they end up doing. And I just, my guess is they'll do a lot of sort of like, I hate this term, but synergistic projects that like the same idea can be applied to many different platforms and outlets. And I I just, that's, that's what I see for them. Plus I'd love it if Meghan Markle acted again. I, I don't know that she's like the world's best actress, but boy, did I love suits and boy, did NBA players love watching Meghan Markle on suits. So I don't know, maybe she'll get in front of the camera again. So according to the statement that they released along with the Netflix deal, which again is just a statement that's being released with like an exchange of a tremendous amount of funds. So, you know, it's subject to change, but currently she is not expecting to pursue an acting role. According to their statement, like the statement said that they might appear on camera it implied in sort of hosting nonfiction, like possibly Oprah-esque ways. I mean, they off- they also have a speaking agent at this point. And the, I, I am citing the Brooks Bar- Barnes piece in the New York Times just because it has details about money. Uh, and apparently Harry's speaking fee uh, is estimated at, at $1 million per speech. So I think that they are aware to some extent that their, um, their faces and their actual presence still has value. And in fact, like, Again, not not to be super dismissive, but I, I think that is like the central value of this deal. They, while uh, having been associated with the royal family and uh, a major international establishment, were not running the United States of America as uh, Barack Obama was. <laughs> you know, I mean, it is like a it's a different level of life experience and perspective. And so at some point you have to think about like what they're actually selling and what they're selling is themselves. And yeah, no, no judgment on that. We're all selling ourselves. It's 2020. And um, most of the celebrities that we talk about at this point are are doing it as well. But to sell yourself in 2020, you probably got to show up at some point. But I would expect yeah. that they show up. I think up. also 
Another reason that I thought Netflix makes sense is the most popular programming on, on Netflix are Stranger Things and The Umbrella Academy. I believe those are their two most watched series. And I bet there's a lot of overlap in that audience, uh, if I had to guess. And which leads me to believe that there is a whole other sector of potential Netflix viewers that maybe could be drawn in through Meghan and Harry or that does not necessarily overlap with either the what the Obamas are doing or like the Stranger Things audience. And like, I, I think that Netflix seems omnipresent and like just so huge already, but I actually think it has so much room to grow based on the limited numbers they release about what's popular on their platform, you know? And just a lot of the numbers that are released suggest to me that programming for women is under is not that popular and women are underserved by their platform. So I could see that being a draw. I think that's 100% true. I, I mean, you know, depressingly, that seems to always be true on every platform, but... Um, I, <laughs> except Instagram. <laughs> except that is true. Um, but I, I think it, I was just reflecting on the fact that the first time I signed up for Disney Plus was to watch uh, Meghan Markle narrate Elephants, the documentary, which I had not signed up for The Mandalorian, which is why most people I'm told signed up. Shout out Baby Yoda. Yeah. Or Star Wars, I think is the other, another major reason. Yeah. But yeah, I think in general, streaming platforms don't cater to, to women yet because like the really, really popular stuff in pop culture doesn't exclude women. There's plenty of women that love Marvel and Star Wars, but it definitely is more male dominated. And so I think, and that's actually one of the cool things about Stranger Things is that Eleven is the star. But anyway, I just feel like there's there's a whole, there's a, a worldwide audience of women who follow Meghan and Harry very closely. And so I think this makes sense for Netflix. I think that's true. I think just also, I, that's probably another reason that they emphasize the children's programming in the announcement, which like, I, I don't have children. So I was like, I really, really don't care about this. But um, obviously, Disney is the worldwide leader in the children's programming space, as you pointed out. But to, to kind of try to develop that audience and the audience of, of parents, Netflix has also just been very like commendable and visible and in investing in content about Black creators specifically and creators of color. And I know that that is something that Megan and Harry have said that they're going to be focusing more on. So, you know, in terms of social justice issues, you have to consider that Netflix is probably trying to invest in that right now, which is also commendable. So I think it checks a lot of boxes in terms of where Netflix wants to, to be right now and to differentiate themselves from other streaming platforms. Totally. The other piece that is rumored in this Brooks Barnes piece that we have no insight in is that there's just a rumor that they could be doing a podcast deal with Spotify. We'll see. We'll we see. mentioned that as well. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff. With real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. 
When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by TikTok. Music makes everything better, which is why it's at the core of TikTok's culture. Each time you open the app, you learn something new. Whether it's a new hot song, new recipes, or even words of encouragement, you're bound to find useful bits of information everywhere you look. And that's true, because I love those recipes, especially the weird candy ones from Jason Derulo. And if you happen to hear a catchy new song or two while you're there, well, that's pretty great too. Discover more on TikTok. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about this week's Grub Street Diet, which comes from someone currently calling the U.S. Open on ESPN. Check it out. Patrick McEnroe. Um, We love a Grub Street diet here on Jam Session. Thank you to Grub Street of New York Magazine of Vox Media. And (laughs) my favorite thing about this, I think we personal personal uh, things that we love is that McEnroe shares the delight of so many over the wide selection of flavors from LaCroix sparkling water. Yeah, it's pretty cute. He spends at least one of the six days in the Grub Street Diet just talking about how much he loves LaCroix and listing all the flavors and then being like, I turned everyone else in the ESPN tennis booth onto LaCroix and now everyone's in it because of me. And I thought it was very charming to be the person to take credit for discovering LaCroix in 2020. Hilarious. It's like, it's some real dad stuff, but also in like a nice way. And, you know, I don't know to then see him like be this enthusiastic about the LaCroix was very, very charming. He just was like, really excited about all the different flavors and also like being surprised by whatever his PA was going to give him for that, like without like picking. And it was extremely relatable. And as you said, extremely dad stuff. Cause it's like, dude, we, this, this is like five years old. Get with it. You know, we've all moved on to spin drift or at least I have. Right. But it was nice. And I honestly found the, the kind of cheeriness throughout this Grub Street diet to be surprising and really sort of sweet coming from McEnroe. So he he's doing all of it from inside the U.S. Open bubble. And like the U.S. Open, much like the NBA, is doing like a bubble. Everyone except for Novak Djokovic and Serena Williams are staying in like player mandated uh, in like hotels and kind of staying within in the quarantine. Djokovic and Serena Williams are staying in private homes that they're paying for, but then they are also like paying for security guards to monitor them to make sure that they don't break the bubble, which I don't know. Tennis has a whole thing. T- tennis is not the most uh, equal sport in terms of resources, but um, macro has been in the bubble and he's been in there like before the U S open. And 
is like talking about picking out all of his meals on the little airplane menu three days in advance. And it's just like really exuberantly reviewing the various wraps that he has for lunch. I've listened to you call a lot of tennis matches and bitch about a lot of things in my lifetime. And I did not expect you to be this psyched about the wraps and the salads that you have. At one point, he's like, sometimes I get a Caesar salad, but then I don't use the Caesar dressing. Instead, I use balsamic. I'm just like, okay, making the best of it in 2020. He also really likes New York City style Chinese food. And I was just like, this man is a New Yorker. Like he's really into just like standard Chinese food that you just get at like your local place. I believe he was talking about orange chicken. Sesame chicken. Sesame chicken. Sorry, sesame chicken. Because I also like sesame chicken. (laughs) It's great. It's just like, it's a real staple of a certain kind of Chinese food, Mm -hmm. you know? And I was just like happy for him that he's at the US Open in, in his hometown. He seems very comfortable. Definitely seems like a better bubble than the NBA one. Yeah, I get. I don't know why, though. I guess it's in New York instead of at Disneyland, though I, I have to imagine they have great amenities at Disneyland. I think it's possibly closer to where McEnroe lives, so maybe you don't feel yeah. uh, as cut off. And it's been interesting. Can I give you like a two-minute review of the U.S. Open since literally no one else sure. is watching it? And this is true, by the way. This is, I mean, this has been sad that people have not been watching the U.S. Open in large part because a lot of the, the quote, stars on the tennis, on the men's side, including my beloved Roger Federer, aren't playing from a combination of essentially because of the pandemic. And there are like travel issues from getting in from Europe specifically. And then, um, you know, also like concerns about safety. And a lot of players opted to have surgeries. No one really cares. So, Men's side has been a disaster. Novak Djokovic was disqualified because he hit a lineswoman in the throat with a tennis ball, which is just like, you don't don't get to do that. Um, And once again, the U.S. Open just becomes a shit show because of things that have nothing to do with actually playing tennis. Though in this case, like, Novak Djokovic hit someone in the throat with a ball and you get disqualified. That's that's Amanda Dobbins' stance. But the women's side has been really exciting. Serena Williams is still in it and Naomi Osaka is uh, still in it and has kind of just like emerged as a major tennis star and also like international star. And she led a, a, a strike of the, um, the tournament, the Cincinnati tournament before the U S open. But when the NBA um, players were also striking, she led a similar strike at the tournament to talk about black lives matter and, and social justice issues and has been uh, wearing masks with the, the, her first round, uh, the mask read Brianna Taylor, and she's been uh, wearing masks with names and throughout the tournament and has just been so thoughtful and um, has changed and really been leading conversation in a sport that does not like to talk about these things at all. It has been great to watch, and I just remain a huge fan of Naomi Osaka, and that's all I wanted to say. So watch tennis so we can support her. She um, has been really outspoken. It's pre- it's pretty cool to to watch a celebrity that you already knew of evolve mm-hmm. into some like you know as someone else or not someone else, but just just evolve. Period. I mean, she, this is probably who she's always been. We're just getting to see it, but I just think so frequently with celebrities, you get pigeonholed as one thing or the other, and it's very hard, especially for young women um, across all spectrums: TV, entertainment, sports, etc to really like be given the space in the public eye to evolve into something different or more nuanced. And that's been really cool. Uh, obviously being really good at what you do also helps with that because you're able to control your message a little bit more, but, uh, it's, yeah, it is. It's really cool. Yeah. And another thing, I mean, you know, Naomi Osaka is still very young, much younger than I am and has been, you know, tennis puts 
the spotlight on players, especially female players at such a young age. And it's an individual sport. So it's really just you figuring out who you are and how you're going to communicate and how you're going to use this platform that can come to you pretty rapidly. Um, and it's just been extraordinary to watch her navigate it and figure out how she is going to just communicate, you know, not just her feelings on these like extremely important issues and really lead the sport in this way, but just also like herself and how she wants to be famous person. And I love it. I think it's great. And I think it's also so exciting in a sport that has just not really been able to create new stars that it is really happening for Naomi Osaka, both on the court and off the court. And it's uh, go Naomi Osaka. That's that is my U.S. Open report. Thank you. Tennis correspondent Amanda uh, Dobbins. <laughs> That's one of my favorite uh, personas of yours. Tennis correspondent. Once a year, baby. Uh, okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's talk about the uh, Venice Film Festival, which is happening. It is. It kind of came to my attention through pictures of Natalie Emmanuel, who um, to most of you is known from Game of Thrones. But to me, she's also on Hulu's Four Weddings and a Funeral which was not good, but I watched every episode very happily. I just think it's weird that the Venice Film Festival is happening. And I'm sure that you and Sean will discuss this on the big picture to a a big extent. Will we? We we can't go. Unfortunately, I'm not in Venice. Well, the even weirder thing is like, who cares what movies are coming out? When will we ever see them? But I just remember like two years ago, Lady Gaga's entrance at the Venice Film Festival was such a big deal for A Star is Born. And... So the like, what is the point of these photo calls right now? Who who is benefiting from them when there's no real movies? It's a great question. So, and the Venice Film Festival is like one of the center points of like the larger international firestorm over you know the future of cinema, which we don't really need to get into because it's both like at the center of it, and also as you pointed out, probably is no indicator of the future of cinema because it's hosting a bunch of movies that no one will ever see because it's in Venice and none of us can get there. There's like a European defiance here that I like both respect and find useless of that movies need to be seen in theaters and like art is important. And so we're going to like have our film festival and our photo call no matter what in the pandemic. And like art is definitely important. And I I do think even Italy has had a better response to the COVID pandemic or has it seems at this point to have it more under control than we do said as a person who's not an epidemiologist. So all I can say to you is (laughs) wear your mask and respect the the health and safety of others. So they just seem to be doing it because they're like, we're going to do it. And uh, why not? I guess there, the Venice film festival is happening. The other film festivals that usually happen around this time are the Toronto film festival, which is happening digitally and also a bit in person, I believe, but they are, they're limiting the screenings in Toronto. And again, that's another place that I as American, an American can't get to. And part of the issue with these festivals is that there are just like international travel restrictions. So you can't have as many people. So most of them gone online. Telluride is the other one that's supposed to happen right now. And it was just canceled or I guess postponed till next year, which is basically canceled. But the Venice one just seems like we want to remind you of the power of cinema and also we might as well take some photos of Kate Blanchett and Tilda Swinton because they agreed to show up. And I don't know. I'll look at a photo of Kate Blanchett and Tilda Swinton. Sure. 
It just was like I saw some of these headlines, like Regina King directed a film, mm-hmm. um, and it was and it premiered there. And she's the first black woman to uh, show a film, direct a film there, I believe. Right? That's what I read in the Guardian. I I trust the Guardian. I I confess I don't know the stats hundred percent off the top of my head, but I would also just note that in general, the film industry has not been like wildly supportive of black female directors or black directors or female directors. So seems entirely plausible. (laughs) And I was like, cool, that's awesome. Who doesn't love Regina King? But moreover, I was like, this is happening. I was just like, this is so, it's just so weird. And then, but this film festival in particular, I think there's always just been a more so than Telluride or like Sundance or whatever. The emphasis on the photos has just been so huge. Like Cannes and Venice, like the pictures just really come out and it's such a big part of like the summer celebrity scene. And so I was just sort of like, this is odd, but I guess this is happening. And like, in some ways, perhaps that's good. I don't know. It's We've now moved to the phase where I think we are, be- I personally feel beyond mask shaming. I'm just like, you're not wearing a mask, you're out, but like, let's not even discuss it. Um, and we've now moved on to like, what, what normal things are, are going to like start coming back and like, what's not. And as it relates to celebrity is like, it's just so public that it's a funny barometer of like where we are in terms of moving forward as the entire globe experiences a pandemic. Yeah. And it's an interesting one because at some point, and I guess we'll do this on the big picture. It's like, what is the point of a film festival? And they vary a bit, but Venice has, you are right to say is as much about spectacle and everyone arriving on the boats as it is. I mean, it's, it's obviously important to film and it's a place where big name directors debut their films. And like, sometimes it's where an Oscar season starts though. Usually that's more a Toronto and Telluride, but it's also a film festivals are where new filmmakers are found and new talent is found. And if you believe in that, that's really important. But, um, that has nothing to do with like a bunch of people on a red carpet being photographed. And it's interest. It'll be interesting to see what comes back and, how things like the discovery of new artists versus like the spectacle necessary to get people to care about new artists are balanced. Yeah. Because, you know, a film festival in general is like a pandemic nightmare. It's a bunch of people gathering from all over the world to sit in an enclosed space for hours at a time. I Like, seems to me like it's kind of one of the last things that comes back. But, uh, you know, at the same time, there they are. They are doing it in reduced terms in Venice. I think that's the other thing. And the red carpet photos don't really um, communicate that, right? It looks like everything is just as it was. And I think it is like just as it was for uh, Kate Blanchett, who's the jury president, even though, you know, there I think she's taking precautions as well. And one of the photos that I saw in a slideshow from the Venice Film Festival is Kate Blanchett um, in like, her her daytime fancy clothes with a mask getting her temperature checked before she walked into a screening. So even there, it's different. But I, I think the photos are a little jarring. I agree, because they, they evoke a, a different world than the one we're living in. I guess it's cool if they can figure out how to do this stuff safely, keep everyone safe and healthy, but carry on. I it's just so hard to know. But anyway, it caught my eye. I wanted to get to get your gut check. So thank you. And it'll be interesting because, you know, we've got the Emmys coming up in honestly like two weeks, maybe less than. Yeah. And, you know, we know that's not going to be in person, but we were talking about the VMAs last week of like, how do you recreate a red carpet? How do you recreate a, an awards show? The Golden Globes and the Oscars are a 
allegedly happening in 2021, but, you know, how they will happen and what the trappings of award season are, which I'm a shallow person, but I look forward to award season every year. Okay. So I, I, like, I agree with you. It's interesting. And I, I think it'll have to be different. And I think you're right that it'll also just feel a little weird no matter what. Absolutely. I'm curious to see how it goes. Couple celebrity quick hits, beginning with Katie Holmes, who has a new man. And I don't know why, but Katie Holmes at this point is more famous to me for um, having various boyfriends than like being on Dawson's Creek, which is one of the foundational programs of my t- of my childhood, or for marrying Tom Cruise in and yes. inspiring the whole jumping on a couch thing, and a, a, and a, just a very strange 2005 to 2010. For other a lot of people. What is she most famous for now, Katie Holmes? So I was gonna ask you this as well, because you you shared this link and I had, you know, noticed on the Daily Mail that this was somehow on the top of the Daily Mail homepage, which is a thing I still click on because as previously discussed, I'm a shallow person and you know, I know it's bad for me, but we all have our weaknesses. But like, why? I was going to ask you just why, because I I see paparazzi photographs of Katie Holmes regularly covered all the time. She is a paparazzi staple. And and they have that tinge of like, is Katie Holmes just kind of like patiently working with the paparazzi and you get the photo once or twice a week and then move on with your life. And that's how you make money. And that's how you become famous. Like it kind of seems like maybe that's going on because I honestly agree with you. What she's most famous for at this point is like being photographed in a new pair of jeans or a new style of jeans that then a lot of people on Instagram buy. I don't know. And the photos that the Daily Mail is running with, um, she's sitting on the lap of her boyfriend, whose name is Emilio Vitolo, and he uh, owns a restaurant. He works in his father's restaurant, Emilio's Bellato. And he's got a lot of famous friends including Joe Jonas and Sophie Turner. He was dating a fashion designer. And I just find it very hard to believe that Katie Holmes, who avoided the cameras with her boyfriend of many years, Jamie Foxx, until like one day they decided to strut around New York wearing um, athleisure in photos that I'll never forget, that she is now just like sitting on the street where celebrity photos are like really coveted right now because there aren't that many. And I just find this so strange and really weird that like this is like now a Daily Mail news cycle for like kind of a week. I think this first emerged a few days ago. So we're coming up on a week. And I just find this whole thing very strange. And I don't it kind of bums me out that like this is Katie Holmes's career as someone who loved uh, Dawson's Creek, though I never loved Joey Potter. Yeah, I don't get it. Do you remember the photos? It must be a year ago now where she was wearing like a, a it was like a sweater camisole. Or like she was wearing a like a sweater camisole and then there was like a sweater cardigan that was like off the shoulder or something. I don't know. And it was like a quote paparazzi photo that was taken and then it went everywhere and it became like a major fashion thing. And it was on all of the fashion blogs. And I believe that particular sweater set sold out. And I was just kind of like, okay, so this isn't a there is an economy here like this is intentional. And there's nothing wrong with that because that's how, you know, we've been doing that since like the handbags and, you know, forever ago. But it it does kind of seem like she has become a late stage 
paparazzi style icon and is like perhaps participating in this somehow. Maybe I'm wrong. Again, we never know. You and I are always speculating to the extent that people are working like with paparazzi or just, you know, managing their brand in general. And it is it's a fine line to walk. But it's the only thing that really explains this level of exposure at this point. Because this is just really baffling. It's a it's a really weird one to me. Yeah. I also this was not on a rundown, but I just wanted to mention one final celebrity note. Okay. Which is David Beckham and Victoria Beckham both had COVID and they worried that they were becoming super spreaders because they were like traveling and whatnot. And I think that we're going to get a lot of after the fact admissions from celebrities that they had COVID. There's just a, a lot kind of coming out. And like, obviously, The Rock got it. I feel like The Rock with his announcement tried to blame his family, his family friends that they got it from. Um, the Rock and his whole family. There's just going to be a lot of like, I had COVID after the fact and like kind of trying to like blame, like assign some blame and then take some responsibility for maybe acting irresponsibly. I don't know. As someone who's been in uh, New York this whole time, I don't think it's that hard to, to not get it if you are being really responsible. But I think people don't want to be really responsible. Well, I just think that's also, it is a numbers game to some extent. And I think the larger your family is, the Beckhams, I believe, have four children. And then the larger your family is, and then the larger the your your entourage or the world around you. And like what we talk about is a lot of times, like celebrities have a lot of people around them at all times. It's yeah, just a different way true. of living. And it, and you know, at some point it's like, it's nobody's fault. And I, they're also traveling. They went to right. England for Brooklyn's, Brooklyn's birthday. And then they went to Miami for some like sponsor obligation. Right. And so then you really extend your, again, you really extend your risk from, from doing that. So it's everyone's choice to make. Right. You know? Right. But I just, I, I feel like we're about to hit a wave of, hi, my name is blank and I had COVID. <laughs> I feel, I, I mean, I think you're right. And I, I don't, I don't know how to feel about that. Cause I think to some extent you want everyone to be as responsible and respect everyone else's safety but there is also like a little stigmatization that goes with it that I think is like unfair because like at some point people are just people got to live their lives and do their jobs. And it's like a thing you literally can't control, even if you can be as safe as you possibly can. But then I then you wonder whether the destigmatization turns into like normalizing and it's like, well, you know, if Victoria Beckham got it, then like I'll be fine, too. And then people aren't taking it seriously. I don't really know. In general, once again, we come back to it would be great if celebrities didn't act as like public officials of any kind. They're just celebrities. Thank you for being a celebrity and bringing entertainment and not uh, trying to govern uh, our lives. Let's leave it to the experts. Thank you for your service. Yeah. You're right. All righty. Amanda, it's great to talk to you. Likewise. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, 
File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.